Repodcasting is part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Have you ever watched a movie and wondered why they cast that woman or that guy? Well, here's our chance to give it a try. We're repodcasting. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Repodcasting. I'm Lucia. And I'm Janet. How are you today, Janet? Hey, Lucia. How's it going? Good. It's always fun when we get to talk about lighter rom-com type movies. Yeah, I feel like we're going to have a lot to unpack on this one. So maybe we should just like dive right in. (laughs) Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So Janet picked the movie Leap Year from 2010. Why did you pick this movie, Janet? (laughs) So, you know, a funny thing has happened to me during this pandemic that we've been in for the last two years and counting. You know, it's interesting because I find that for me, I don't know about for you, Lucia, but for me, my sort of coping mechanism, so to speak, has definitely become different types of media and art that I consume right? I've mm-hmm. definitely consumed more during the pandemic. So for me, you know, like it's been movies and I've gotten very much into like a lot of different TV series as well, because we've had so much downtime. We've had so much time to be at home. And for me, it definitely has been my coping mechanism. And so I find that rom-coms have really become my self-medication during <laughs> during wow. this pandemic. And you know what? Listen, there are worse things that could have happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, there are way worse things that I could be self-medicating with. I think romantic comedies, that's, that's healthy self-medication as far as I'm concerned. Even if they're bad ones, like leap year the one we're going to talk about today so I find that I've really gotten into romantic comedies during this pandemic I've definitely consumed a lot more than I had prior to the pandemic and I think you know what it is uh Lucia I don't know about you but for me it's been like a they're a form of escapism right Mm -hmm. like they're really light you know, romantic comedies don't ask a lot of an audience, right? There's not Mm -hmm. a lot of energy that you really have to put into watching a romantic comedy. You just kind of have to sit back, relax, and, and try to be entertained. And so I think that's why I've really gravitated towards them, because it's just really easy watching you know what I mean it's just it doesn't ask much of me as a as an audience so I happened upon this movie last year and two reasons why I watched it number one Matthew Good (laughs) I am obsessed with Matthew Good oh I didn't know this Yes, like he, I'm going to objectify him. He is a super, super tasty snack, Matthew Good. Like I usually watch, like I'll usually watch stuff that that he does. (laughs) Um, So he was like the number one reason that I wanted to see it. And number two, it's filmed in Ireland, which always promises a beautiful backdrop for any movie. If a movie is is filmed in Ireland, I will usually watch it. So okay. that's why I watched this movie. And then when I watched it, obviously I thought it was bananas. <laughs> how bad it was. How uh-huh. preposterously bad it was. And I mean, there's a lot wrong with this movie. Not just the casting right? I think like the number one thing that is wrong with this movie is the script. Absolutely. And we definitely like talk about that and get into it. But I also felt that the casting was really, really bad. And I mean, not that a different cast would have changed the script. It wouldn't have, but 
I really felt that, you know, our two leads, Matthew Good and uh, Amy Adams, they're both talented actors and they come off in this movie like looking so untalented, Ugh, yeah, uh, so bad that I thought, you know what, this was so poorly cast. They were both so poorly cast in this movie and I just thought with different leads, it wouldn't necessarily improve the movie, but I just think I just would have liked to have seen two different leads because okay. I think it would have at least improved that aspect of the yeah. movie. That's that's the long story. That's my monologue of why okay. I chose Leap Year for this month. Well, that is awesome. Um, I actually had to look up Matthew Good. I don't think Ooh. I knew him from anything else, but yeah, oh. tasty indeed. <laughs> oh, I love him. Like he, I'm sorry. I'm gonna like. He looks so hot in this movie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, and they went out of their way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I and those him. eyes. <laughs> oh, and those big blue eyes that just like take up your whole screen and that scruff and oh I just wanted to make out with him like every minute <laughs> and, yeah. and I think they also the the movie went out of their way to make Adam Scott look very unattractive <laughs> oh, that's the thing like this movie has a great supporting cast oh yeah agreed yeah so Anyway, sorry, we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> okay. Um, well, yeah, what was the box office? How did this movie do? So the budget, which I was surprised, the budget was $19 million, which I thought was a lot. Yeah. But they filmed in Ireland, and so that's expensive. So the box office, I couldn't believe that they that this movie actually made this much money. It managed to rake in $32.6 million. Okay. I don't know. I think that's a decent haul considering <laughs> considering that it did it was released in January of 2010, which is typically like it was released right after Christmas. Right. Which like that those two you know that week two weeks after Christmas when a movie is released that's basically like a graveyard for movies mm -hmm. right? that's where they go to die yeah and yet this movie still managed to haul in that much money as like a January release so I was kind of impressed with that number it's also impressive considering all the reviews I read from like legitimate movie critics were like just tearing it to shreds. <laughs> I found so much joy reading the reviews, the movie reviews Me for too. this. Yeah. Like they were incredible how like critics just ripped it apart. It was amazing. Yeah. Well, and I also have to mention this. So you said it came out in January of 2010. So I was like, oh, okay, comes out in January. It's for a leap year for that February. 2010 was not a leap year. Oh, no. 2012 was a leap year. Yeah. So, exactly. like, it's just odd. I know it doesn't yeah. have to be like that, but you would think that you would mm. maybe release it on February 29th of a leap yeah. year. Yeah, it's, I found I found it weird too. I thought, why didn't they just release it like in February? Yeah, yeah, really like, odd. For Valentine's Day, right? Of course. Yeah. yeah, really strange. So for anybody who hasn't seen it, actually, like, it's pretty short. Pause and go watch it on Netflix. <laughs> but anyway, here's a little synopsis that I wrote. Anna decides to go propose to her boyfriend in Ireland on February 29th because of an old, embarrassingly outdated tradition. She has the trip from hell getting to Dublin with the help of Declan from Dingle. And along the way, they obviously fall for each other, even though her boyfriend is not a bad guy and he's done nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah, but look at him. Next he's not for Matthew. her and that's fine. He's but not that good. <laughs> <laughs> I still think it wasn't set up in a great way, though. He 
just seems like a nice guy. And in fact, at the beginning of the movie, they seem 100% on the same page. They want the same things. Like, you know, and that's fine. This trip makes her realize that maybe that's not what she wants. But I still didn't buy that. Like, I buy that it would make her maybe break up with him. And, you know, she realized that's not what she wants. But it wasn't enough for me for her to then fly to Ireland and try to be, even if he is Matthew Good. <laughs> I don't know. It was just too far-fetched for me. But that's most rom-coms are of this style. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know what it is? The the bones of this, you know what this reminds me of? I know you don't watch a lot of like those romantic comedy movies that are on Hallmark, that the Hallmark right. channel before but this to me is like an is like a a hallmark movie with a gigantic budget like that's what it reminded me of the sort of like the quality of the movie and like even the story i was just like this is basically a hallmark movie but it was not hallmark (laughs) yeah i was thinking of that too when i was watching it but just thinking like it's a very big budget Hallmark movie because it's just filled with cliches and tropes that are so out of date. I don't know the entire premise. Okay, so I didn't go into it too clearly in the synopsis, but the premise is so she, I guess, has an Irish background and her father, John Lithgow, totally underused in this movie. Why get John Lithgow for a two minute part? Anyway, So he tells her that there's this old tradition in Ireland that on leap day, a woman can propose to her boyfriend and he has to say yes. And it's like, is this 1950? Like, why can't a woman propose to her boyfriend any day? Like, everything about it is so bonkers. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And like, that's to me, this script, like when I initially watched the movie, the first, without even like Googling it, I was watching it and I was like, this movie was written by Americans. For sure. Oh, for sure. Like I thought to myself, whoever wrote this script, whoever the screenwriter is or screenwriters, I was like, they're American for sure. Mm-hmm. So then after I watched the movie, I did like a total deep dive into it. And I did like all this research on it. And I was so curious. And it is, it's written by like these two co-writers who've, They've written a lot of different movies together and uh, and directed, but they're American. And you can tell because there are so many cliches that they've written in about Ireland and like the way Irish people are portrayed. Like it's offensive. Absolutely. I've never even been to Ireland and I was offended. (laughs) Yeah. I was watching it. I was like, this is so offensive because like, like there's one character that actually says top of the morning to you. Like nobody, listen, I have been to Ireland. Okay. And nobody said that to me (laughs) while I was there. People do not talk that way. Okay. So, you know, you can really tell that it's like those awful cliches. It's like those terrible stereotypes and The script is a disaster. It really is. This script is an absolute disaster. Yeah. Yeah. And the lead character, Amy Adams' character, Anna, she is that stereotype of the woman who's all business and like she's so ambitious and she's doing really well and everything is on a schedule to the point where she's on a plane the oxygen masks have fallen. Everyone is freaking out. And she's like, we can't land in Cork or whatever it was. I forget where they were landing. We can't land there because it's not on my schedule or whatever. Like, it's so I know. stupid. But like, again, it's the way it's been written. Like, yeah. that's usually the template for the female exactly. characters in yeah. Hallmark movies. I know. Like, it's always like a woman who has like, she's very career oriented, but then, you know, she has to, I don't know, find love or whatever. In, another in a small country. town. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just, it's like these really outdated sort of scripts. And yet people love to watch this sort of thing, right? Yeah. And I mean, I watched it. <laughs> not because of the, not because I thought the story was good. I watched it for Matthew Good. That's why yeah. I watched it. But 
yeah, like these stories are like, come on, you know, it's just, it's so formulaic, right? Mm -hmm. It's so, it was just a bad script. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we will try to fix at least the casting part of this um, right after we take our first ad break. This episode of Repodcasting is brought to you by the Northwest Fest International Documentary Festival, running in cinema from May 6th to the 14th and online from May 5th to the 15th. Northwest Fest is thrilled to finally be able to bring the festival back to Metro Cinema this year with an outstanding lineup of some of the year's best docs and a few fun surprises. This year's festival is a hybrid affair with over 20 films screening at Metro Cinema including the acclaimed Nick Cave music doc, This Much I Know to Be True, along with dozens of feature and short films screening online. Award-winning filmmaker Alexandre O. Felipe will also be in town to present his filmmaking masterclass. This event will be open to the public and is an absolute must for anyone who's ever dreamed of making their own film. Check out the full Northwest Fest film lineup and purchase all-access passes or single tickets at northwestfest.ca. And now back to the show. And we're back. And um, Janet, since you picked this movie, I'll let you start with the recasting. Sure. Um, so I thought it was really interesting. I wanted to check out and see like if there were any interviews with Matthew Good or with Amy Adams, like what kind of press they did when the movie came out. And I found a great quote from Matthew Good. Um, and Lucy is shaking her head because I'm sure she saw it as well. When <laughs> it was kind of like everywhere. So apparently when he was promoting the movie, like he was totally bashing it. <laughs> and I kind of love that he did that. because, <laughs> Like he totally thought this movie was garbage. And I mean, he didn't actually say that, but he may as well have. So he actually said, I just know that there are a lot of people who will say it is the worst film of 2010. And interestingly enough, Time Magazine actually did rate it as the worst film of 2010. So Matthew Good was correct. Um, He also said that the main reason that he signed up for this movie was because he wanted to be close to home because he lives in England. Right. And he his girlfriend had just had like their first child. So he wanted to be able to fly home quickly. And so he said that that was the main reason he took this job. And he actually said it wasn't because of the script. Trust me. Well, quite frankly, like as an Irish person, I'm sure he was offended by the script. No, well, Matthew Good's not Irish. Oh, he is British. Yeah. Oh my God, Lucia, uh, you actually thought Matthew Good is Irish? He's playing Irish. I don't know that accent, Lucia, that he did. That that accent was absolutely a mess. Oh no. There were moments. I would say. For 75% of the movie, he was incomprehensible with that accent. <laughs> Didn't you find? Uh, I don't know. I didn't uh, notice it, to be honest. Yeah, no. So you need to watch it again, Lucia. Because, yeah, like that <laughs> accent, his accent, he struggled so hard with that Irish oh, accent. Funny. That was awful. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I found him incomprehensible for portions of the movie it was like what did he just say because the accent was so awful yeah so I mean he obviously he didn't take it for the script obviously and he is quite talented I mean he's kind of one of those actors that people don't recognize him by name Mm -hmm. it's funny because when we did our 50 shades of gray recast uh, when we did that episode, Matthew Good was actually my recast for Christian Grey. Okay. And I am so mad at Hollywood and all the people who made that movie that they didn't cast him because that was a missed opportunity. When I look at him, I see Christian Grey all the way. Like oh. he would have been such an amazing Christian Grey. But anyway. 
Yeah, and it's funny because Amy Adams was like the opposite. Like when she was doing press for this movie, oh. she was talking about how she enjoyed working with Matthew Good so much. I mean, not that he didn't say anything bad about her. Like he didn't make any disparaging comments about working with her. But I thought it was really interesting because she actually said, um, he's so charming and funny and he's so smart. He just enjoyed playing Declan, and that was so much fun. And I'm like, um, <laughs> so you're getting like him saying like one thing, and then you're getting her saying another. So obviously, she stayed on script. She's the more politically yeah, yeah. correct of the two. <laughs> so yeah, like I was kind of, I didn't enjoy either one of them in this mm-hmm. role. Again, like. I think he struggled so hard with the accent that like that was my biggest complaint as far as him being in the role. Amy Adams, I didn't like her in this role at all. I mean, I get that the character is supposed to be like this sort of like very control freak, I guess if you want to call her that, someone who is very... She's very structured in her life. So I get that the character is supposed to be like that. Mm-hmm. I just didn't, I don't know. I didn't enjoy Amy Adams' portrayal. I don't think that Amy Adams is good at comedy, to be perfectly honest. I prefer her in dramatic roles, and I just don't think she has a flair for comedy. I also felt no chemistry between the two leads. Like yeah. there was no chemistry at all between them. Mm-hmm. I agree. So there was that problem as well, right? Yeah. Um, a question for you. Have you seen the movie Enchanted? Yes, I have. Because I don't know. I'd say that's like comedic. It's pretty funny. I thought she was quite good in that. No, I didn't. I don't. I don't know. It, maybe okay. it's just a personal thing, but. For me, she doesn't sell comedy. Okay. She doesn't sell it to me. When I see her in dramatic roles, I enjoy her, Mm -hmm. her work. But anytime I've seen her in anything that's remotely comedic, it's like, to me, she's just out of place. She's completely out of her realm and I just don't care for her. So I decided, I don't know, like how old you kind of get an idea that the characters are supposed to be older in the sense that like they're in their thirties. Right. Right. I certainly, even though they, I don't know if they ever say how old the character. No, I don't think so. Anna is, but you get the idea that she's, you know, like she's probably in her mid to late thirties and she wants to, you know, TikTok. She wants to get married and, so she mm-hmm. can have kids or whatever. <laughs> you know, you get that sense, right? That she's probably like in her 30s or whatever. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't know. You know, the way she goes about it, we're supposed to believe that she is this very successful career woman. She's very pragmatic. She's very structured in her life. She's very serious, right? Mm-hmm. And yet, then the whole premise of her, like, running off to Ireland so that she can propose to her boyfriend because she's in this rush to get married, it doesn't sort of fit with what we're supposed to believe the character is. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm articulating it very well, but... To me, the way she goes about it, I would expect someone younger to act that way. Mm-hmm. I agree. Because we're supposed to believe that Anna is this woman who is very self-assured. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, or at least in her career, she is. But you also get the sense that she's very self-assured in her personal life yeah. as well, right? Absolutely. And- So, yeah, so it's like, well, she's like a 30-something-year-old woman. Like, I don't know, just the the action, the whole action of, like, taking off. I would expect a younger character 
to do something like that. Mm-hmm. So that's why I went younger, even okay. though I don't know how old Anna's supposed to be. Anyway, I don't care. I cast her as younger. So I cast Lizzie Kaplan. Uh-huh. I love Lizzie Kaplan. Yeah, Lucy knows who Lizzie Kaplan is. For anyone who doesn't know who Lizzie Kaplan is, she's been around. She's been working forever. I mm-hmm. mean, a lot of people will probably remember her as Janice in Mean Girls. <laughs> of course. She plays Lindsay Lowen's like best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, she's done so much. She's had a great career, both in TV and in film, right? She's yeah. done a lot of, she was, a lot of people know her from Masters of Sex. That was like a really popular TV series. She was in, on Party Down. She was on New Girl. And she's been in different movies. I saw her in this movie called Bachelorette. I thought she was really, did you see that movie? Lisa? I did, yeah. Yeah, she was good Um, enough. So Lizzie Kaplan is just one of those actors that she, I think she's very good at comedy. I think she would have been a lot funnier. She would have made Anna at least funnier than Amy Adams did. Mm -hmm. I think she could have nailed this role. I think she would have done very well in it. Nice. Yeah. I love that. Um, And she and Adam Scott have such great chemistry in Party Down. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And uh, so then Declan O'Callaghan, who is played by Matthew Good, as much as I love Matthew Good and do not want to see him, <laughs> but I do want to recast because that Irish accent that he was trying to pull off was absolutely painful, <laughs> painful for me to watch at times. So I recast him with Donald Gleason, who is he's actually about the same age as Lizzie Kaplan. So it would have worked because they're both they're uh, they're basically the same age. But they they're also a little bit younger. So they would have been a little bit younger in the roles, but I think mm-hmm. that would have been fine. Um yeah and Donald Gleason I mean he's amazing. Yeah. I him and he's great at comedy right he's so good for anyone who doesn't know oh my god he's got like so many credits his cv is wild and like that's the thing he's done so much like he's done dramatic like he was in star wars and he was in the revenant and we've seen him play like a surly sort of asshole type so i think he could have pulled off like that grouchiness or that surliness like that grumpiness that we get from the Declan character but then he also would have been funny as well Mm -hmm. because funny like he's very good at comedy have you seen the movie Crash Pad no Uh, it's on Netflix okay uh, Christina Applegate is in it as well he oh you should watch it anyone has not seen that it is a really fun movie and it's it's also like it's a romantic comedy but it's like a dark romantic comedy but he's great he is so great in that movie and I just really love him and I don't know I I think that would have been an interesting pairing like Donald Gleason and Lizzie Kaplan I would like to see that I'd like to see that too for sure that's awesome Okay. Um, I ended up going with two choices for each role. So I'll go through and I kind of like paired each one with one specific person kind of thing. So um, I'll start with Anna as well. I totally agree with you that the character is kind of like, they're behaving kind of immaturely in a lot of ways. Once the premise is in motion, but what they've set up for the character doesn't fit the rest of it right like yeah yeah I I struggled with that and so even though I think Amy Adams is incredibly talented I don't know I wasn't buying and this probably isn't even her fault it's probably like the way the character is written but yeah just this dichotomy of like who she initially presents as and then who she seems to be later but um anyway so while I do think Amy Adams is decent at comedy I think there are better people who like do physical comedy better, 
So my number one. Yeah. (laughs) Like the physical comedy. I don't know. I was having a really hard time watching her do it. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I don't know why. Um, So somebody who I think is very good at physical comedy is Casey Wilson. She is from Happy Endings, and she was in Gone Girl as well. She's in The Shrink Next Door and Black Monday. I'm a big fan of hers. I think she's really funny. And her character of Penny Hearts on Happy Endings is always finding herself in crazy situations where she has to do physical comedy. And she is a pro. Yeah, Um, yeah. and... And she's a little younger as well. Um, she's like six years younger than Amy Adams, so not a ton. But yeah, I, I just I kind of would have bought her more in the role. And then I wanted I'll go like in pairs. So I paired her with Donald Gleason. No way. Yeah. Well, he, he also he's Irish. Like that's exactly. The thing. Yes. Like it wouldn't have been a question of of struggling with an accent because it's his natural. He is Irish. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's just how he speaks. <laughs> but yeah, so there's not much else I have to say about Donald Gleason because, you know, you've said it very well. I think he's just great. And I love that that happened because it's not too frequent that we line up on choices. But I've also like, I don't know if this is a rom-com or just a romantic film, but um, he was in About Time. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, you know, yeah, we've seen him do quite a range of things and he could have played the the arc of the character really well. I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. So then my next pairing, I thought realistically, if they wanted this to be like if this is a 19 million dollar movie, they're probably not going to cast Casey Wilson because she was not known at that time. She's not that well known now. But so my other choice was Reese Witherspoon, Mm -hmm. the queen of cheesy romantic comedies. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, I think she would have been fun. And I think that I could see Reese going on the journey in a better way of starting off as this very structured person and then kind of letting loose as the time goes on. Yeah, she could definitely play this role. She could do it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like we've seen her play this role before. Yeah, probably in several other movies. Yeah, other movies. Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of her romantic comedies, but there's one called Home Again and another one called Sweet Home Alabama. And I just assume that they're exactly the same as this. (laughs) Yeah, I'm thinking of, that's the one I was thinking of, is Sweet Home Alabama, where it's uh, Josh, I think his name is Josh Lucas. Oh, okay. He's in, I think that's, his name I can't remember it's I know his first name is Josh I can't remember his last name but he plays yeah and she very much plays like this type of character yeah so she could have done it for sure yeah and then I paired her with Chris O'Dowd from Bridesmaids yeah and the IT crowd so he is also really good at comedy he's really charming But I could see him also, like, just kind of playing grumpy at the beginning, but in a way that isn't as off-putting. And I'm sure Matthew Good was told to be off-putting, or maybe he was just grumpy about the entire situation of having to be there. I don't know. But I didn't buy his arc either. Like, I just don't buy these two people liking each other in any way. No, not at all. Like, there's no... But even, you know, sometimes you'll see two actors on screen and as bizarre and far-fetched as the script might be, like you buy it, you buy it because there's that sense of chemistry and you can tell that there is something there Mm -hmm. on screen. Right. Yeah. And like, I was getting nothing from them at all. Like even when they were, you know, when they set out on the journey and they're going to Dublin, like at no point are you rooting for these two people to get together? Like not at all. Not at all. Even when they're arguing or angry at each other, I don't even buy that. Like none of it worked. None of it worked. Yeah. So I actually thought of Chris O'Dowd as well mm-hmm. because it's true like I thought you know he could have definitely played this character and he would have of course done a better job than, than Matthew Good 
Yeah. Yeah. I thought of him because I've seen him in, he did this romantic comedy called, oh, it's something Jessica James. It's on, um, it's on Netflix as well. Okay. And he was really good in that. Is it he, kissing Jessica Stein? Is that, is he in that? No, okay. no, no, it's not. No, it's uh, something Jessica James, but he's okay. really, he's really good in it. Yeah. He is, he is quite good. So okay. I like that. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. But yeah, so this film opened at number six at the box office. And like, like you said, it came out in January, which is kind of a graveyard. So to open at number six is pretty bad. <laughs> it is. And it, you know, it made quite a bit. It made good money. Exactly. I don't know. It did, it did well commercially. And it almost has like a cult following now. Really? Yeah, it does. Like when you do like a deep dive into Google, it, like it's amazing how people are still talking about this movie 12 years later and how it's still, it, it does, it almost has like a cult following now because it's so bad that like you want to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Because it's so bad. Yes. Yeah. I will say this. I put it on while I was doing something else, I forget what, but anyway, like I had my computer in front of me and then I had this on the side on a TV screen and I stopped and watched the whole thing. Like I was kind of expecting to just kind of like half pay attention here and there, but no, I had to watch this train wreck. (laughs) That's what it is. It's like, you're watching it and you're like, you can't look away because it's stunning how bad it is. Yeah. You're just like, oh my God, like this is awful. This is amazing. It's one of those. Yeah, it's one of those movies. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. I wrote down a handful of quotes from critics. I won't read them all, but I do want to say a couple because Nathan Rabin of the AV Club, he said that this film functions as the cinematic equivalent of a shamrock shake. Yeah. Sickeningly, artificially sweet formulaic and about as authentically Gaelic as an Irish spring commercial, which is just like hits the nail on the head. (laughs) It's funny because my favorite reviews were the ones that were written in Irish publications. Right. If you look at like different Irish newspapers, (laughs) the reviews, oh, like they were scathing. Mm -hmm. Like, understandably. Yeah, like so, so offended by this movie. And, you know, that's the thing. This is the kind of movie that, like, it's fine if you release it in, you know, North America because... Because we're dumb. (laughs) A lot of Americans are, a lot of Canadians, like, what do we know necessarily about Ireland, right? Because they were saying that geographically, like, nothing makes sense in the movie, right? Yes, yeah. No Ireland. Like, that's the thing. For people, if you're going to release a movie like this in Europe, particularly in Ireland, like, they're going to be able to pick apart all these things because one minute she's in Dingle and then the next minute they walk from, like, Dingle to Tipperary, which apparently they do in an hour in the movie and in real life. Like, there's no way that you can do that. I mean, I'm not, like, I don't know Ireland that well, but... That was one thing that I kept reading was that like they made so many mistakes in terms of, you know, where things are geographically. And when you think about it, if you're writing a script, right, how hard is it to Google this stuff? Yeah. Well, not even just Google. They literally filmed this stuff. So, for example, when she walks out of his pub in Dingle at the end, she just like walks away, presumably like five to ten minutes away and she's standing at the edge of a cliff (laughs) that apparently is very recognizable because I also like I personally don't recognize it but I was reading that it's in a place that's like a four-hour drive away (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah or even when she like gets on that tiny little boat yes that practically capsizes Right. Because they're, you know, they're hit by all these gigantic waves and you're watching it going, that is absolutely ridiculous. And then 
the boat just leaves her on shore. Like there's so many completely preposterous moments in the movie that it's just like, this is incredible how bad this is. Yeah. And that's another perfect example. The boat. Wow. Because the boat captain, he's like, this storm is too bad. I'll have to drop you off in something. I think it's, he says in Cork. Okay. Apparently Cork is so far away. It's on the other side of like Ireland or something. Yeah, literally. It's on the opposite coast. <laughs> like, yeah. It's bananas. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Like at some point when they were in Ireland filming, yeah. was there no one that said to them, look, you know what? You really should change this or whatever. I don't know. Absolutely. Like, yeah. I initially, when I was watching, because, you know, obviously it's stunningly beautiful, the vistas and everything. Absolutely. So I had a moment where I was like, was this film commissioned by like the Irish Tourism Board or something like that? But then as I saw the way they were portraying Irish people and all the geography mistakes, I was like, no, there's no way that the Irish Tourism Board had a hand in this. That's the thing about Ireland, though. Like, that's why anytime there's a movie that's set in Ireland, I'm like, yeah, I'll watch it. I don't even care what it's about. Because the backdrop is always just so, like, it's breathtaking. It's just stunning. Like, visually, the Mm -hmm. movie's gorgeous to look at. It really is. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so... Oh, the the only other thing was, uh, I was saying it opened at number six at the box office. Behind Alvin and the Chipmunks, the Squeakquel. <laughs> I know, I saw that. That's, that's <laughs> so funny. yeah, so that actually like goes even further to surprise me at how this film made money. But I mean, does Alvin and the Chipmunks, the Squeakquel, does that have a cult following? No, I think not. <laughs> this movie does. Okay, this movie is a cult classic. Uh huh. So. I bet Alvin and the Chipmunks, the Squeakquel is bad enough to have a cult following, too. <laughs> okay, so the uh, ratings for this are what you would expect. <laughs> on IMDb, it has a 33% from 30 critics. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 23% from 142 reviewers. So, yeah, critics, reviewers, they did not like this movie. And I don't blame them. Yeah, I will say this. I was checking out Letterboxd before we started recording this and you Lucia actually gave this a higher rating than I did wow yeah you gave this movie an extra half star (laughs) I gave this movie a one star rating and you gave it a one and a half what was that extra half for Lucia (laughs) share that with us. <laughs> okay. So, well, what we've already said that it was very beautiful to look at. I liked that a lot. And while I do agree that the two leads are not very good in this, I also think that they're good actors in general, so I felt bad giving it really low. Uh, okay. And the extra half star is because I thought I was going to put it on and not want to pay attention and then I watched the whole thing. okay interesting yeah (laughs) we're we're kinder to this movie than i was yeah one and a half out of five i don't know that feels fair for where like that's 30 percent, right yeah but that's fair (laughs) okay okay so uh why don't we take our second ad break before our final segment this episode of repodcasting is brought to you by park power your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you switch providers, nothing changes about the delivery of these utilities to your home or business. If you have an existing contract, you're going to want to find out the terms before leaving. If you don't, then it's even easier to sign up for Park Power. You, as the consumer, have the choice of who you pay your bills to. Why not choose your friendly local utilities provider? Park Power's community partners include CKUA Radio Network, Boys and Girls Club of Strathcona County, the Altview Foundation for Gender Variant and Sexual Minorities, the Festival Place Cultural Arts Foundation, Muscular Dystrophy Canada, the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society, 
and the Saffron Center, which supports those affected by sexual violence. Learn more at parkpower.ca. And now back to the show. And we're back, and it is time for our favorite segment. Could you hear that? Uh-oh. What's our favorite segment? Okay, hang on. <laughs> Someone's getting fired. For sure. It is time for our favorite segment. <laughs> it is time for Hold Me Close, Young Tony Danza, the segment where we cast Tony Danza into one of the roles in this movie. And man, I had a hard time with this one. No, did you? Yeah. Where did you put him? Oh, I feel like it's so obvious. Oh, well, I didn't want to go too obvious. Oh, I went super obvious. So I cast Tony as Anna's dad. Okay, yeah. Even though, I mean, John Lithgow is a legend. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, Tony's the ultimate dad, right? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's, a, it's like you said, John Lithgow, I mean, he's so criminally underused. He's in the movie for like two minutes. Yeah. And that's it. But which is a shame because I would have liked to have seen more of him, but that's where I cast Tony. As okay. Dad. I definitely thought of that, but he's kind of a deadbeat dad. She has, well, um, she clearly has like a complicated relationship with him yeah, and she does. he's not reliable. And, you know, she only had like, I don't know, an hour, an hour and a half or something like that to see him. And she only, we only see him for two minutes because he was presumably an hour late. <laughs> yeah. So, and then she tells a story later on about, I don't remember, some, yes. some sob story yeah. about him. So anyway, that's why I didn't want to put Tony in that role. I don't want him okay. to be a deadbeat dad. <laughs> but so, <laughs> don't laugh where I put him. Uh, I cast him as Jeremy, Adam Scott's character. <laughs> No way. I did. <laughs> um, yeah, but then it's not believable that she would, like, pick someone else over Tony. <laughs> well, I thought that then it's believable because there's this massive age gap. So she go- then goes for somebody more <laughs> age. <laughs> uh, all right. But yeah, you're right. You're right. Then it's not believable that she leaves him. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> there would be no one. That she would pick over Tony. No, of course. <laughs> uh, now I see the error of my ways. <laughs> well, thank you for picking this because, like, yeah. I'm very glad I watched it. <laughs> oh, then, like I said, romantic comedies have been my self medication during this pandemic. I have watched so many oh, romantic no. comedies. Wow. I feel like I'm like an expert on them or I'm becoming an expert on romantic comedies because I've watched so many of them. And again, it's just, you know, you just sit back and you don't have to stress your mental faculties Mm -hmm. at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just let me be mindlessly entertained. It's like junk food for your brain. Mm hmm. I shouldn't say that about all romantic comedies because I mean, there are some that are fun and they're great and they're, you know, they're done very well and and they're smart and this is not one of those, (laughs) Right. (laughs) but I don't want to paint all romantic comedies with the same brush because that's unfair too. Right. And I Mm -hmm. don't want to minimize them either because Again, like when they're done, when they're smart and they're done well, they're so much fun. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I think for me, my like my self-medication medicating has been like old, old 80s movies that I watched a bunch as a little kid, but haven't seen for like 20 years. <laughs> See, for me, I've gone into like, I've regressed back to the 80s in terms of music. Oh, yeah, like I have jumped back on the Duran Duran bandwagon. I, love that. <laughs> I was like, I was a huge Durani. That's what they used to call us. Really? We were Durani. Yeah, the fans were called Durani. I didn't know that. And I was a huge Duran Duran fan, like back in the 80s, right? Because yeah. I was like, you no, know, I was coming of age at that time. I was like 12, 13, whatever. 
And yeah, like I have totally regressed back to the 80s when it comes to music. Like Duran Duran, Wham. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, George Michael, George Michael sort of was more into the 90s, right? right? Like he's some 80s, but yeah, like that, as far as 80s, it's been music. That's for me, it's been the 80s. That's the fantastic. 80s were. You know what, Lucia, the 80s were so uncomplicated, right? Yeah. I have such nostalgia for that time. Mm-hmm. It was just an uncomplicated time in my life anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I very much agree. It's comforting. It's comforting. And I think that's what it is about the romantic comedies as well. There's something about them that is soothing. They're comforting. That's why I call them self-medication because yeah. it really is. It's like a soft, warm blanket that I wrap myself in and I just like blissfully fade away for an hour and a half. (laughs) Yeah. And and you know what you're going to get. There's no surprises. (laughs) Well, I don't know in leap year. (laughs) Yeah, I guess there were some surprises. surprises. (laughs) Yeah. Fun surprises. Yes, yes. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Wow. Okay, well, uh, next month for our June episode, we are going to be recasting Detective Pikachu, the Pokemon movie. So this was chosen by my little niece, Clara, and she will be guest co-hosting with me. So stay tuned for that. It is very cute. We already recorded it, and she's really fun and adorable. I can't wait to hear that. That's going to be wonderful. Yeah. I don't know where it can be found online, but check your local library because it's a pretty new movie. I'm sure they'll have the DVD if you still have a DVD player (laughs) or the Blu-ray. And then you can find us on all the social media stuffs at Repodcasting, or you can email us at repodcasting at gmail.com. So Janet, thank you again for picking Leap Year. And thank you as always for joining me. No problem. You're, you're welcome, Lucia. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.